Should the Sixers be worried about the Nets? Can the Magic do it again versus the Raptors? Will the Jazz burn it all down to the ground? The only question left is, say it with me, you win. Hey sports fans, Coach Nick here and welcome to the B-Ball Breakdown Podcast Playoff Edition. I am joined as always by, that, that is who I am joined by, Jared Weiss of The Athletic. Jared, are you enjoying the playoffs so far? Extremely. Honestly, even if it was all blowouts by the favorite teams, I probably would still be enjoying it anyway. But the fact that we had so many upsets in the first game and there, there's like serious questions, too, with those teams that got upset. Oh, without question. And uh, a lot of hand wringing because uh, let's talk about the first series that I want to talk about is the Sixers and the Nets, because Brooklyn, not of nowhere. I mean, they, they really cause problems for teams the way they play their offense. Uh, but they they took out the Nets. Uh, the, they took out the Sixers. And a lot of what I have been saying about Ben Simmons, which is a lot of Sixers fans were coming at me a lot during the year in a very vociferous manner. Like it's what they it's, do. Yeah, it's still uh, Even it's with still their own there. players. It's a real problem. Uh, the way they run their offense is a real problem, and um, I don't, not really sure what the deal is here. What were your, what's your takeaway from uh, from that first game? It's funny. There was one part of that game where I felt that the Sixers' offense looked the way it should, and it was when Boban was getting covered by Jared Dudley. Which credit Kenny Atkinson, what a goddamn move, and the fact that it paid off, and. The one time that it wasn't really working out was that they had it was Butler and Boban just kind of running like a very kind of like slow and deliberate pick and roll, giving Boban a chance to kind of steadily roll so we could kind of control the spacing. And then Jimmy just attacking the rim and they were able to score two or three times in a row. Or I think he might have drawn a foul at some point in there. And then there was a timeout, I believe. And then they just didn't go back to it. They should have been doing that over and over and over. It doesn't matter how predictable it is. Wait until. Uh, the you know the Nets make an adjustment and send an extra man over and then try to find that shooter. If that doesn't work, then I guess you got to go to Plan B. But I felt like Brown. I mean, we we've talked about this a bunch. Everybody talks about this a bunch. Brett Brown seems to be anemic to pick and roll, and he's got a guy that can really do it with Butler, and it's the one way you can make Boban really useful besides just trying to clear out and post up for him, which frankly isn't really that effective. And the playoffs is the time where they really got to go to it. They need to try running it with Ben Simmons, try running like pick and roll to short elbow with him and Joel, or if Joel can play or him and Boban, or I guess Jonah Bolden, if they're going to use them. Um, and same thing with Butler, they got to run that high pick and roll and just try to get some, you know, two bodies with the ball, just going down the middle and trying to break up the defense. Uh, yeah, fair enough. I mean, I, I think that the turning point came when Brett Brown went small with Jerry Dudley at center and they did try and go down Excellent. low with Boban. Boban got like an offensive foul, which I think kind of like threw them off and then like sort of scared them off from trying to do it too much. Um, which And then they were also having to trade like twos for threes, which is a scary proposition if you do that a couple times in a row. So that's, I guess, the consideration that uh, Brett Brown is making. But certainly Kenny Atkinson, you have to say, coached the rings around him in that game. Um, and the Ben Simmons issue is an issue. It's, they, they keep throwing him down there by the nail. And uh, he never gets a, a lot of chances to sort of create as he could. Could You know, they threw him in the post and he did nicely with a couple passes out of the post. He didn't finish very well at all. Um, and I just think that, you know, it, it's, it, he just doesn't fit in their offense. They have not solved the Ben Simmons issue of his not being able to shoot and not being able to finish with his supposed strong hand and um, near the basket. So 
um, yeah, what what the Nets are doing, they're able to space. They shot, you know, forty two percent from three, um, and they got all they got good looks. It wasn't like they were completely on fire like the next series we'll talk about with the Magic. So um, I don't know. I, I don't know what. I mean, clearly the the Sixers are going to win Game Two at home, right? Right. I wouldn't say that. I mean, Joel is still in rough shape, and their their team is very much reliant upon him being an elite player. And he he was playing so poorly that they kind of had to keep taking him out at that game. So mm-hmm. unless he is unless he's putting up like thirty and ten for that team, it's hard for them to win in the playoffs. Yeah, no, I, I hear you. Uh, they also were able to play JJ Redick off the floor because obviously he's their only shooter they really have. I mean, they have a couple other guys that can hit, but. Um, they ISOed on him and just told whoever was uh, whoever he had a guard, Karis LeVert, uh, uh, Spencer Dinwiddie, or D'Lo, just go at him, just space the floor and just attack him. And it was not pretty. They actually had a bench, and he only played, I believe, 22 minutes uh, compared to his normal 32. So they literally had they marginalized him. And and I, I get it, you got to get him out of there if that's going to happen on the defensive end. But without him on offense, then all of a sudden, yeah, you really don't have a lot of spacing. Uh, I, I suppose we're going to say that Embiid's knee is a problem, right? I don't think he looks like he's, off, you know, completely healthy, right? Oh, it's a disaster. Yeah, he he's not even close to healthy. And, and not to mention for Redick, you said 32 is normal. That's maybe regular season. In the playoffs, he's playing 36 to 40. Oh, they need enough. him on the floor almost the entire time, right? So Yes, yes. And they, have, and they have so many defensive weapons and so much length of versatility around him in their starting lineup that they should be able to find a way to hide him throughout the series. And Brooklyn tends to have a weak link. I mean, hell, you can hide him on Jared Dudley when Dudley's not the five a lot, or actually even when Dudley is the five a lot of the time. So there's usually somebody that you can try to quote-unquote hide uh, Redick with. But I don't think anybody seemed in sync except for Butler. You know, Brett Brown said that he played like he was the adult in the room out there compared to the rest of the team. And I think a big part of it goes back to Simmons in that because we're just accepting that Joel is really hurt and that's why he's playing poorly. Not that Joel is not showing up or whatever. I think his track record is pretty strong as it is. But uh, Ben Simmons, he is just not that good of a half-court player offensively at least, against good defenses, especially in the playoffs where there's not a ton of transition play. He's amazing in the open floor, and he's already one of the best in the game, but he hasn't figured out a way to kind of like patiently dribble drive and kind of change direction and use hesitations and stuff like that to get good finishes off. His, I don't think he's that good of a finisher yet, or maybe I should say relative to where he can be, not relative to the rest of the league, he's pretty great, but... He, he doesn't utilize his body very well. He doesn't attack through contact with power. He doesn't seek out contact. He doesn't do any of the things that I feel like he's already getting too much credit for. And, you know, I still think he has elite potential, but I just I think he's getting pretty significantly overrated. And we see it when he faces a, a somewhat intelligent defense in the playoffs. It becomes pretty obvious. I agree. I agree. And then the other thing was uh, that the Nets did was dare and be to shoot it from the outside, giving him a lot of room. Whenever he got anywhere near the basket, he just drew fouls. They could not. They, I think he drew 10 fouls in the game, but he would drift to the three point line. They would give him 10 or 12 or 15 feet of room and he would oblige. He took, I think, four in the first quarter alone. They didn't hit any of them. Um, and that's you'll, you'll probably end up seeing the biggest adjustment on the Sixers end will be that like that he will not be on the perimeter. He will simply get down there. Now, again, will the knee be able to hold up? I don't know, but I am assuming probably not, you know, but that that's the other adjustment we're talking about uh, Ben Simmons again is that, you know, they, they don't get him any actions that would help him 
to become a, a better facilitator in the half court. There's no like pin downs for him to come running around on a catch and go. There's no handoffs for him usually. And I don't know. I know you said that Brett Brown kind of acknowledged it's a problem when he just goes and wanders down by the dunker spot on the weak side. Um, but it, almost to the point where it's like maybe does Brett Brown not have control over that? I mean, they just kind of like the offense starts, and the next thing you know, he's just wandering down there where he kind of wants to be. Very strange uh, a way to run an offense, and I just can't believe a coach would have control over that. Let me ask you this. Uh, if the Sixers lose this, does Brown keep his job? I don't think so. Yeah. And I, the whispers that I've been hearing, because, I mean, publicly, the the I think the public has turned against them for the most part. And I understand that because they had they have such a, they have so much talent and they're not a sixty win team despite their talent being there. I I am familiar with another franchise who has a sixty win team talent who didn't get close either. And yeah, there's even some you know fire Brad Stevens uh, whispers out there. But I think that the overall sentiment has been a lot stronger because there's been a goodwill built up. Like well, in they Boston. made two straight conference finals, too. Yeah, so, exactly. There's that goodwill built up. Well, like Philly doesn't quite have that. Philly, it was, you know, years and years of built of that build up, and then an expectation that now you have to be really good, really successful right away, which isn't really fair to Brett Brown. I think there's an expectation that Brett Brown would have installed like a pretty cohesive offensive system at this point, which it doesn't really. I mean. They have a recognizable offensive system. It's just not a very good one when Joel isn't dominating and Ben isn't able to get out and run. But I, th- I think that's probably the big disappointment. Uh, but I think he's done a pretty solid job of managing a team that's pretty difficult to manage. And dealing with uh, his biggest superstar is just not healthy. He wasn't healthy in the playoffs last year. He had a broken face and had to play with a mask, and he shot terribly because of it. Uh, and then now, obviously, right now, we're seeing like that top-of-the-key game for him is one of the most effective parts of his game because he upfakes and then attacks closeouts and just completely terrorizes the offense. And I think he's shooting mostly because he can't move. He can't really comfortably dribble and attack right now. And he's probably scared a little bit that his knee's going to pop. And, you know, if he has a serious knee injury, then we might be back to square one where we were a couple years ago where we weren't sure if he was going to be able to hold up for his career. For sure. Well, that might end up being the saving grace for Brown if they can sort of assume or say that, you know, he had an injured star, just like Brad Stevens might get a little bit of a pass from Marcus Smart being not healthy. And then in the other you know uh, years past, they've had some injury issues as well to major players. So the second season is underway in the NBA and you've got eight different series to choose from. You feeling confident? Willing to place a wager, perhaps? Don't know where to start? There is only one place to get in on all this action. Grab the odds and allow the experts at betonline.ag to do the heavy lifting for you. Sports, live betting, virtual casino, you name it, betonline.ag is B-Ball Breakdown's preferred sportsbook online. If you're feeling lucky and want to support this podcast, go to clnsmedia.com slash bball and use promo code CLNS50 to get a huge 50% sign-up bonus. BetOnline.ag has you covered. So head over to clnsmedia.com slash bball and use code CLNS50 to get a 50% sign-up bonus. BetOnline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. Let's move on to another series. Uh, let's stay in the East for a minute, and let's talk about the Magic and the Raptors, another huge upset, and you can hear the hand-wringing. You can hear that, 
that noise of the hands ringing together in I Toronto. I can kind of hear it. Yeah, where, uh, you know, they've already gone through the LeBron torture chamber for years. Uh, they, you know, you know uh, DeRozan is not there anymore, but Mr. Lowry still is. And um, they kind of laid an egg. Lowry laid an egg. I don't know if they laid an egg, but Lowry was... I don't. I don't want to say like he was disconcerted. It was just he. He felt like he was. He felt like somebody else jumped into his like body, snatched him, and didn't know how the controls work. He just seemed like he didn't know how to get his shots. He he didn't have confidence to get his shot. And you know, people are saying like he went over seven, only took seven shots. Like he's a point guard on a team with some really talented scorers around him. So I think a big part of it was he felt that he didn't have a shot that day, didn't have that feel. So he wanted to sit back and be a creator. And yeah. I, I'm not going to freak out over him only taking seven shots. Yeah, and what, like you know, a few of the threes were just like rhythm in, you know, out of the offense. One, you know, should have gone down, like rolled out, like just so close. Uh, but by the way, if you look at his stats, like this is his worst output he's had in in five or six years, if memory serves, uh, as far as scoring and then uh, field goal percentage. So it's not that new that he, you know, isn't like you know going to lead the team in scoring and shoot lights out. That that's been this way for a lot of the season. So. That wasn't so surprising to me, and certainly it was nice to see Pascal Siakam be that aggressive and really be a problem for the Magic at, at his size and his ball handling ability. So, um, so that that was definitely a, a thing. Now we had the moments where we thought, okay, Kawhi Leonard was the hero. He, he hit a three to tie. He hit another two to tie, I believe. Um, and so, so there were some encouraging signs there, but uh, to watch the Magic sort of rest control this game in the fourth quarter, um, you know, as a severe underdog on the road um, has to be concern, concerning to Nick Nurse and the rest of the team because, uh, you know, they now don't have home court advantage. Well, I mean, T.J. Augustine had such an anomaly game for him. Mm-hmm. In only 29 minutes, he has some sort of weird track record where he plays so yeah. well in Toronto. I don't know how he keeps playing so well in Toronto. But he, but he also has a bit of a track record in, in playoffs when he was the Bulls, uh, if I'm not mistaken. He also had some kind of big games out of nowhere. So, mm-hmm. um, But, yeah, definitely an anomaly. He's not gonna, you don't think he's going to score 25 again, do you? <laughs> Probably not, but you never know. Uh, but, you know, the big thing was they, uh, they got really good contributions from MCW. He hit a couple threes, which is always a big shocker. And he had five boards off the bench as they're essentially like backup point guards. So that was big. Uh, and, you know, Terrence Ross had a bad shooting game. But I felt just like everyone across the board chipped in just enough. And Evan mm-hmm. Fournier continues to be that go-to guy that they need next to Augustine so they can put up just enough scoring. But they were they were impressive defensively. Yeah, you know, I mean Siakam was obviously the star of the game, and we should talk about him before we move on from this game. But like, they everybody seemed pretty engaged and in sync, and I think they've they've tried to find that for most throughout most of the year, and they really started to find that the last couple of weeks, and it's just carrying over. And credit to Clifford, I mean Clifford's done a really good job of taking pretty much like offensively barren rosters and making them shoot just well enough to be a borderline playoff team, but having really good defensive execution and communication. And we really saw that against Toronto. Absolutely. Um, now, and then there were a couple of breakdowns on the Raptor side defensively that gave up a three in the corner to Jonathan Isaac. That was big. Um, and again, I, I had to get into this weird conversation on Twitter with one Magic fan who insists that Jonathan Isaac is a good shooter. 
And I, I don't even think I said he was a bad shooter. He's, I think he was 32% in the year. But, you know, now they're arguing, arguing he shot like 38% the second half after the All-Star break. I'm like, okay, well, he still shot 32 the last 15 games. So my point is, is he's all over the place. But when it's down the stretch and a, with a couple minutes to go, you know, like those pickup games, don't give him anything because you, you never know what's going to happen. They're going to nail that shot. And he did. Um, and it ended up being uh, the, uh, the shocker, which was then, oh, then, and then the biggest shocker of them all was then, yeah, it was Augustine just rising up and nailing a three off a pick and roll. Um, you know, improbable. So it could very well just be a five-game series. It's a little blip, I suppose, right? That's not a crazy take, is it? No, not at all. I mean, uh, I mean Toronto, I felt like last year they had that blip where they had that one game where they almost won it with the tip. I think it was a Valanciunas missed a tip in at the end of regulation. Yeah. And then otherwise, it seemed like they got blown out. So these these series could be very, uh, what's the, anomalous? Is that the Yeah, they can turn usage? on a dime, yeah. you know. I mean, there's, there's no question. I mean, but then again, you look at, like, on the other side, because I was going to say, like, you know, Toronto clearly has, you know, a talent, you know, uh, advantage here. But, you know, Aaron Gordon is a good player. He didn't, and he did not shoot that well. Did not, wasn't a blow. Jonathan Isaac is a tremendous talent as far as athletically, and he can shoot. And he can shoot. Uh, Vucevic is tough, and he didn't play well either. So, and, you know, and Evan Fournier did what, exactly what he would do. So he was probably the one guy that kind of gave him exactly what you expect. So there's a lot of levers here that I feel like, oh, this didn't happen that well. It should be a better next, you know, next game. But you can, you can argue them on both sides. So uh, I don't know. I mean, listen, Kawhi played really well, and he did what he would have done, I thought, to win the game. So um, who else are they going to get from? Now, the biggest issue I pointed out in my video was about Marcus Hall and how they were targeting him in the pick and roll. And uh, it was bad. Like, he couldn't keep up with the, point, uh, the ball handlers. He couldn't get in position. He couldn't be effective. So my suggestion was they should they should shave like five minutes of, of his time off instead of going from 32, go to like 27, maybe find some Siakam minutes at center. But the problem that people pointed out to me, which is a, a good point, is that with Anunoby not out there, who would be the four if Siakam is the five? I guess Leonard is. Yeah, Kawhi would have to be, which yeah. they could make happen because Danny Green's playing really well. And uh, I don't know. There's no there's no like clear. There's no clean answer on that one i don't think yeah. there's like a there's not a perfect lineup there i mean i'd be really interested to see how uh, how it works with fan fleet lowry green and leonard all out there because you have a you have incredible shooting out there all those people except for green are good are able to drive and kick so yeah. it could be and then siakam i mean siakam's not that good of a shooter yet but he even if he can still like space to the three point line and then just attack off the catch and still terrorize the defense. So that mm -hmm. could work, and maybe that's maybe that's their answer is they combat length with uh, quickness. Yeah, no, I think that that's what they they should at least try it. Get you know run it for three minutes in the second quarter or something and see how it goes. Uh, Van Vliet I thought played pretty well actually, but if you look at his plus minus, which is a really noisy stat, he was <laughs> negative sixteen, the lo the worst on the team. Uh, and Lowry was, was plus 11. Yeah, and Lowry was plus 11, which is very head-scratching because I thought it was the opposite as far as how well they played. So that's always uh, an interesting um, way to look at the plus-minus. It doesn't always sort of ma uh, match what the eye is telling you. Um, I, I love it when it does, but in this case it didn't. Uh, and Van Vliet is still my favorite player's list. I'm not going to knock him off for that yet. We'll <laughs> see how he does in game two. So uh, good stuff. But, you know, let's move on to our next one. Let's see, which would be – let's go to the Western Conference, shall we? You want to talk about uh, – OKC and uh, Portland? Let's talk about it. Let's talk about OKC, baby. Okay. Um, I just did the video. just released it. Go check it out on YouTube. 
or Facebook. Facebook, too. Why don't you watch it there? Um, and, okay, we had a Paul George shoulder game. Can we call it that? Is it okay? Is it flu game, shoulder game? Does that work? It's the my shoulder's fine game. Right. Well, or you pain, know what? My shoulder free. got fine in the second half. <laughs> I can't. There I it think. is. Because <laughs> <laughs> he really shot well in the second half and looked good. So that's the only thing. You know, the Portland had a big lead in the second quarter. On a, on they jumped up, you know, nailing threes left and right. Excuse me, in the first quarter and then over to the second. Um, after that, though, it was pretty even. It was, yeah, yeah. It would be. It was. I think this win came mostly down to Dame just hitting some amazing shots at the end of the fourth quarter. Uh, it, I mean, obviously, the story of the game was how would Cantor fare going up against Stephen Adams, and well, would be the answer. I thought they were, they had pretty comparable contributions of the game. Cantor's numbers are great. Portland did a good job of figuring out how to utilize Cantor in the pick and roll to make him really effective on the short roll or, you know, give Dame, you know, space to kind of get in there and find his shot. And then on defense, Cantor didn't really have to be out there on the pick and roll too often. So it, that kind of took away like the thing that makes him such a bad defender. Cause when he's defending down on the post, he's kind of just below average. He doesn't really do anything. That's like, you yeah. know, really stands out as bad. And he's such a great rebounder that he makes up for it a lot. I'm going to pretend that you didn't just say that part about the pick and roll defense because they roasted him in the pick and roll. And I showed in the video probably five, six times that it's continually going at him. And Adams was getting shots. Russ was getting shots, layups, little, you know, because it's a joke the way um, the way uh, Kander plays pick and roll defense. He just backs up to like literally like underneath the rim. He's, his head is almost underneath the rim by the time they're attacking. It's insane. Well, I'm not saying I'm not that. saying that he's not terrible. I'm just saying that it didn't seem like it defined the game the way that uh, a lot of people expected it would when you put Canner out there. Oh, well, I will say that it did. And I feel like the okay. only way it, it, he was able to mitigate that was with 20 points. And if he's not going to get 20 points and grab a ton of boards, then they're not going to win. You know, because this is not Nurkic. Nurkic is better at all those different things. And uh, so, so, so it, which is okay because he can score. By the way, his footwork at times is atrocious. He had a couple traveling calls, uh, and his canter did. That is like, you cannot have footwork like that at, the, at this level in the NBA. And uh, so, but it, it, even still, he's a nice player. He can, he can score. And by the way, most of his damage was on uh, putbacks. I think it was like six of his, you know, maybe like eight or ten of his 20 points were on just putbacks. Or uh, C.J. McCollum had a beautiful lefty hook pass to him where he just, he just sort of stood nice. there waiting, and then they gave it to him. He did have a couple nice moves. I, I do not want to take that away from him, but his footwork is all over the place. Um, and so he's obviously going to be the key here. On the flip side, though, I think it's Russ. Russ is going to be the key for them because he, you know, he made some, a crucial mistake. They had gotten the rebound and were going to take off when they were down, uh, I want to say, four, and he just – didn't even look and puts the ball on the ground and then just gets knocked away and then they get the ball back. They have to, uh, you know, oh, that was yeah, inside of 30 seconds. And uh, it basically kind of cost them any chance they might have had um, because if the game was like three minutes longer, I think that Thunder would win that. You know what I mean? They were like Probably. coming and coming and cl getting closer and closer and it really felt like they had momentum uh, until that Dame three from about, how far do you think that, that three was from? Probably like 32 feet or so. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was, a, it was I would say... What is it? Twenty four nine, and then he was easily yeah eight feet behind the line. So what's that? Thirty two, so th thirty three ish. Yeah, thirty thirty. I would guess it was thirty two feet and nine inches. If I had to be extremely precise. Okay, well that's a good guess. So yeah, <laughs> I mean it, it's insane. Now they, uh, the announcers wanted to fault Russell Westbrook for not guarding him that far, and I actually gave him a little bit of a pass in the voiceover because. I don't know. He got a little bit distracted, I think, from C.J. McCollum had done a cut by him, and he might have looked that way for a second. 
Um, it was, I don't know, it was the audacity to shoot that. Like, I just don't think people are ready. Now, the future of the NBA is that, right? That's going to just be a shot that point guards will just jack up uh, whenever. I think the general rule of thumb has been to, like, have your, try to at least be above the screen level and at the very least have your heels on the three-point line. Yeah. So, I mean, they, like, he was, I'm trying to bring it up right now just so I can see how far out he was, but... It wasn't like Russ was sitting way, be- you know, way below the three-point line. He was out there, and yes. it's like th- the likelihood of the guy taking that shot is relatively low. It's ninety, I would say ninety percent of the time they're going to attack and make some sort of play, and so sitting. Okay, so it looks like Russ had his heels. On, yeah, Russ had his heels on the line, mm-hmm. and was starting to like shuffle towards the middle because they sent a guy cutting through uh, the middle of the lane basically and dame started to walk towards it and it just fired away from like 35 it looks like it's like 35 feet so i don't think russ did anything wrong in that situation he was you know he was trying to keep himself in position to play off of the screen whenever it came and dame decided to pull up from a ridiculous range and i think you just kind of have to live with that even if it's more frequent in the, in the nba now yeah i mean he hit another one uh, equally distant as far uh, away from that as well um earlier in the first half and it's like it's clearly like that's his thing now you know he's also a little bit uh inconsistent with that too but you know again like we said you can't get especially in that situation you just can't give him anything it's like the ball is gonna go in now the other thing about russ is i don't let me see i don't think he took that many threes but i did point out one that i thought was pretty crucial in the early in the he was over four from three but he took one where uh the blazers went on the big run they had hit like they were at seven for nine or seven for ten from three in the first quarter and in the midst of this run where they had maybe a 10, 11 point lead and the need for a really good shot was like paramount for the Thunder. They had to get something good. And what do they get? A Russell Westbrook dribble it up five, six times, no pass and just shoot off a dribble from a three. Um, are you aware that he had one of the five worst shooting seasons by a guard, a starting guard ever? I'm surprised it wasn't the worst. I would have assumed so. It's kind of hard because it's like here are my the criteria were field goal percentage, effective field goal percentage, um, three point percentage, and free throw percentage. And like, are you you know below these numbers where he was? Uh, you know, there's a lot of ways you can do it, and a lot of ways you can rate it. I imagine that would show you worse, uh, maybe. But you know, I figured I just had to you know I had to grab some numbers. So you know, it, 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 the numbers were less than forty three percent field goals started at least sixty games. Uh, effective field goal percentage less than forty seven, and then less than sixty six percent free throw percentage. You know, uh, Rajon Rondo did it in fourteen fifteen. Pooh Richardson, remember him? Ninety four ninety five Clippers. Oh yeah. Alfred Payton, remember that at fourteen fifteen. And by the way, Alfred Payton is kind of like not a bad right. He's not like a bad shooter anymore. I feel like because he cut his hair. That's why. That's right. Uh, Daryl Walker uh, with the Bullets in 1991, and then Russell Westbrook at the top of that. Um, so, you know, th- as a starting guard in the league since 1960, whatever they go for, or maybe, no, they goes all the way to 46, 47. There's only these five players that have shot this that poorly and it started that many games. Um, it's a problem. It's, it's just a problem because he takes so many field goals. Yeah, none of those guys, I think, had even remotely, they probably were half the usage level that he was, Rondo. I assume was somewhat close. What year was that for Rondo? Actually, uh, fourteen fifteen. So I mean, he took six hundred and forty-five field goal attempts compared to Russell Westbrook, who took fourteen hundred. So he's doubled pretty much everybody on this list uh, as far as field goal attempts, which you know gives you some indication of usage to some degree. Um, you know, his win shares are also way above everybody's, but that's because he just does so much and amasses so many different 
box score numbers. So anyway, the point being that like that's the kind of stuff that you lose playoff games for. You, you lose a playoff game in the second quarter by doing that then, you know, and not getting the good shot you need or turning the ball over like he's off the dribble like we did when he, when he had to go down the floor quickly. He had a couple of uh, offensive charges that also I posted on Twitter that kind of riled the troops up a little bit too where – you know what I think it is? Uh, not to go into a too deep uh, of, a, of a psychoanalysis of Russell Westbrook, but I, I think that his, um, he's got sort of a lack of respect for the defense in a, in a way that, like, you can't stop me kind of attitude, which I get, and that's healthy to some degree, but he does his moves, especially in the open court, as if there is no defense. You know what I mean? Like, he just sort of ignores that they're there, and all of a sudden he's running into them and nailing them with elbows, running into them wild, or just throwing up the, the ball when he doesn't expect them to move or actually be a live defender. So uh, that, I, I mean, I had that epiphany somewhat recently, and I think that's the issue. I just feel like he doesn't consider the defense worthy of even, like, you know, uh, <laughs> looking at them and figuring out what they're doing. I, I don't think it's that you can't stop me. It's that only I can stop me. It's Russell's self-aware now. He realizes that the only person that can ruin his game is himself. Okay. And we've we've been talking about this forever. Is he a you know is he a net positive or negative to the team? It's pretty obvious he's a net positive. I mean, based on the success that he's had and his teams have had, especially after KD left. But he's like the ultimate floor raiser and ceiling limiter. And in I, we've been saying for a while, unless he has some sort of epiphany and changes the way that he approaches the game. He's always going to have that limited ceiling. And this year, I thought he did a great job of really focusing on being a better distributor, letting Paul George be the the dominant scorer. And I think he's become probably this season was the best point guard as far as like running point in the NBA or was just about right near there. I'm sure, I'm for, I'm sure there's someone that I'm laughably forgetting right now. But I think he did an amazing job of trying to be a smarter passer, trying to execute sets in a way that he just wasn't really doing before and not trying to really like run away from everything and you know have the patience that mm-hmm. he never really had before. But also, he shoots like dog shit all the time, and he, ta- he still takes a lot of those terrible shots. And for me, it's not even the ones where he's like, he's like, you know what, I'm feeling it, I'm going to do a double crossover into a jumper. It's the ones where he is like running in pick and roll or running in transition and he pulls up from 17 feet where you can see he's like drifting so far out of position that it's just like physically impossible to even get that shot because you're moving so much, you know, stuff like that that really hurts the team. And we saw a little bit of that in that game, Uh, probably not enough to really bury them. And of course, Paul George coming through in the second half helped a lot, especially with that shot there at the end. So hopefully he'll get healthier enough to make this uh, competitive. Oh, they're so evenly matched that this, there's no question in my mind this should be the most competitive series of, of all, I think. Uh, it should go seven. I, I could be completely wrong, and I shouldn't be predicting, but that's kind of what it feels like to me. Do we have time for Utah-Houston? If you want. All right. Well, here's my only take on that. Utah should just burn it down on the ground right now. The only players I think that are worth even keeping at this point are Mitchell, Ingles, and... Ingles, Mitchell, Gobert. I, I think I, I would I would trade Gobert. I think that they've hit a ceiling with him. I honestly feel like they've hit the ceiling where they're not going to get beyond it. He he's a nice player. He really can help defensively most of the time. But certainly with the wacky defense they're going to play on on Harden, where they're going to play like behind him and sort of force him into Gobert. It, you know, it didn't really work. Part of it wasn't necessarily wasn't Gobert's fault, but there were times when Gobert didn't even step over to protect the rim and they just got dunks. And I don't know what that was about. And like, you know, maybe they, he felt like they were down already and didn't want to get hurt or something. But like, 
you got to try and instill the fear at all times that you're always around. And I don't think that Houston has any fear of him at the rim, even at this point. So um, I just think he, you know, he's a nice player. He does well. He's probably built more for the, I guess, the regular season. But um, I, I think that they've hit their ceiling. So I, honestly, I feel like they, I don't even know what else they, they could do here, uh, except I would just maybe tear it down. You know, Jay Crowder, they need to upgrade that. that that's the guy I would upgrade first before anybody else. Um, you probably are well familiar with him and his playoff issues or whatever with the Celtics. Uh, he's, an, again, a nice guy, nice player, uh, but he's just, he's just limiting them as well. Yeah, I mean, he went one for seven uh, from deep, so you know that's how it works with him. He's a very streaky shooter. And uh, the and I don't think his defense has been quite as good as that year, what, two years ago or three years ago where he peaked with Boston. Is that uh, before but so, the concussion? Yeah, I mean, Favors is going to be gone. That seems to be kind of confirmed at this point. Uh, Ricky oh, Rubio, who's okay, one of my favorite. Yeah, I was going to say favors I like, and I and I Rubio's another guy. By the way, he's not in that that all time worst shooting percentages uh, list that I just created for Russell. So well, he's, uh, he's gotten a lot better. I mean, he's he's made significant progress, but he's not quite at the point that they needed him to be for him to for them to really elevate to that top tier in the West. But Mitchell is getting there. He was streaky in this game. Uh, but Ingles was a ghost offensively. They he just he couldn't find his shot. He couldn't find a comfort zone. I mean, he had five dimes, which was nice, but he only took four shots in the whole game. And they need him to be. He he needs to be going like you know seven for fourteen, something like that. Oh, yeah. He needs to be an active part of their of their scoring and their playmaking because uh, they, they rely so much on. Like if if he isn't a huge part of it, it's too much focus on. Donovan and Rudy Gobert is a pick and roll threat. Donovan trying to go ISO where he struggles and kind of finds himself in bad shot situations. Although of course he manages to hit them sometimes, but you know they they only had a shot at that game because Gobert was so dominant. You know, crashing through the lane. That was I think that's the only reason why they were really in it. Who Utah? I mean, yeah. okay, but it didn't last that long, I suppose. I mean, they still lost by thirty points, so like they yeah. weren't that in it. Now but. let me just bring this up about Ricky Rubio because last year he he started to show some improvement, but he went right back to this year being really kind of bad. He shot forty percent from the field, thirty one percent from three. Uh, he actually is a really good free throw shooter. I want to give him credit for that. I, I was surprised when I was checking the other day. I'm like, oh, I, I guess I didn't realize he's he really is an excellent free uh, free throw per, uh, uh, shooter. So, yeah, it's done. He's done. You know, he's not going to get – this is it. He is now 28 years old. Uh, he's gotten uh, questionable training, honestly, watching his mechanics. And um, I don't think – you know, I used to think that you couldn't teach anybody after 18, 19. But at this point, at 28, I just, I just don't know if he's going to make another jump. Now, of course, we can say that Jason Kidd, look how much better he got. So it's possible. But uh, either way, yeah, I, I think this is a Utah team. And by the way, I think it's a testament to the coaching. I think Quinn Snyder – his coaching is what keeps them together in that same Popovich way because I really don't think that this team is that good, and yet here they are, um, you know, in the midst of the playoffs, you, you know, uh, and, and will compete. Uh, but they, I, I think, yeah, again, I like O'Neal, Royce O'Neal. I'd keep him. I'd probably see if I can keep Corver. I don't know what his, his contract schedule is, but, you know, he, he's a nice, you know, he's all, by the way, he's, what, 40? Yeah, I'd, I'd be surprised if he comes back next year, but you never know. Yeah, so you know what I mean. So it's like besides those guys, O'Neal. It's too bad. I guess the favors is gone because that's only I, I kind of like him. But O'Neal, Ingles, Mitchell. That's it. I would see what I can get for everybody else. All right, one game into the first round, we've already figured out how to rebuild the Jazz. That's good. Yeah, and then now Houston. Uh, 
They look good. Do they look like uh, the same team that's, that pushed uh, the Warriors to seven? Uh, not, not quite, but I think they're working towards it. I mean, they they still. I think they need to figure out a tighter rotation for the you know for the next couple rounds. They have a nine man rotation right now. They tried Chump for a little bit out there, mm-hmm. uh, but I mean, Kenneth Fareed hit his three point attempts. He had a really good game. <laughs> Green uh, Gerald Green was solid. Austin Rivers. I don't know what was going on with him in that game, uh, but. You know, CP3 wasn't he, – he wasn't really – he didn't do anything that really jumped out at you. So they need him to do, to kind of blow everybody away if they're going to make it happen because you know that Eric Gordon's going to be streaky. I mean, he had a great shooting performance. He somehow got 17 points and only five field goals. I don't know how he pulled that off, but oh, I guess it's because he takes mostly threes. But. Well, he took 10. He had 10 field goal attempts, five threes. Okay, I bet five field goals made, oh. but but point okay. is is that he oh, made five. Okay, yeah. he's gonna have a couple games where he has twenty five, a couple games where he has twelve, and they need more than just Harden to. I mean, that can get them f- through the first right. round and probably even the second round, depending on. Well, actually, they're gonna face Golden State, right? So, yeah, they, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. so it can get them through the first round, but uh, Chris Paul's gotta take over here unless. I mean, hey, I don't even know what they do with that franchise, honestly, if they lose in the second round, or especially in the first round, and Chris Paul doesn't look like he's, you know, can find it in the playoffs. Right. Uh, yeah, they, it'll probably be time again to take a serious look at what they did and how they did it um, and what went wrong with what they did have and how the players left, like Ariza. I, I can't believe it's like it's all pinned on Ariza leaving that kind of made everything change, but we shall yeah, see. It's pretty apparent at this point that that's definitely not the case. It's just I think there's a chemistry thing here they they may not have paid attention much to, right? Oh, we'll just throw together these assets and you know it should work. Um, but we'll see. Uh, yeah, and by the way, I I, you know, I hope Austin Rivers looks a little bit better. He just yeah he just seems this is not his first playoffs. He's played in the playoffs a lot, uh, at least with the Clippers. Um, he's, had he's had great had, success in the playoffs. Uh, well, let's not get crazy, but he said well, you know, he had a few but games like in there. the game where he filled in for Chris Paul, who he currently backs up, and he had that incredible t- was it twenty points in the fourth quarter and the bloody nose and all that stuff. Like yeah, he's right. done some amazing stuff in the playoffs and shown that he could step up into the big moment. A little bit, yeah. I mean, at the very least, the argument could be he's got ex- plenty of experience. It's not like he's green coming in there, but he kind of looked that way to me for some reason, just out of sorts. So I, I guess I expect him to be better. But it was a layup line on both teams, by the way. You know, there's a stretch there. I feel like it's just dunks every single time down. Um, and I'm like, you know, what is going on here? Like, you know, then you have to wonder, like, well, okay, why don't you just run that play every time? Then I mean, it looked so easy. Uh, it's not, and they have to, you know, there is that defense thing, but nonetheless. Um, you know, I think that Houston wins this. I think the Jazz have to tear it all down. And I think we have to tear this podcast down. What do you say? As long as you and I survive, I'm okay with it. Yes, I will survive. We will survive. Uh, well, there's, there's too many playoff games left to, uh, to, uh, to ignore. So we will be back here. Uh, when are we going to be back? When are we going to go over in more games? What do you think? Later this week? I'd love to do it Thursday, but we'll see. Okay. Well, let's, we can uh, put that on the, on the schedule and see how it goes. But uh, either way... Jared, thanks for coming on the uh, show today and joining us. And everyone out there, thanks for joining us to the bitter end. And don't forget, sports fans, at B-Ball Breakdown, not a channel, we're a conversation. You in? Are you in, Jared? I'm actually in a panic because I just realized I have tickets for a concert that starts on the 20th. So I got to do that.